live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Hey, hey, welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid, a radio network. Over the course of the next hour, I am going to break down the entire world of NFL betting with our special guest, Mark Lawrence. And if you don't know who Mark Lawrence is, you should. This is a guy who's been doing this literally for 50 years at a high level. And Mark's going to get in his database. We're going to talk about do's and don'ts for beginning NFL bettors. Mark's going to give us some systems specific to week two that have worked long term. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. But before we get into that, before we bring Mark Lawrence onto the show, I want to talk a little bit about college football. Unfortunately, there was no college show this week. We did have some technical difficulties. But I want to talk a little bit of college right at the open. And this is the concept. All right. I live in Las Vegas. And one of the advantages of living in Las Vegas is you talk to a million betters over the course of the week as you're going around town. You know, all the betters see me. They want to talk to me. What do you like about this game? What do you like about that game? And what I found this week, specific to college football, but you see it in the NFL as well. I want to talk Notre Dame and Purdue. All right, in particular, because this is a game all week long around Las Vegas. Heard the same thing everywhere about this one college football game. One, Purdue's Jeff Brom is a monster as a road underdog. Seven and one against the spread as a road underdog at Purdue. Two, I watched Notre Dame play. I watched him play twice. That defense stinks. You can't lay points with this team. Both those factors are true in theory. Yes, the Fighting Irish are 0-2 against the spread. And yes, they were gashed defensively in each of the first two games of the season. And yes, Jeff Brom has been a good road underdog during his time in Purdue. And it's arriving a little bit less Lafayette, West Lafayette, 7-1 ATS. But one of the things we have to do as handicappers is not take everything at face value. And we dig a little bit deeper you get a very different story. Is this meaningful info or isn't it? Is the fact the Irish are 0-2 against the spread meaningful? Is the fact that per- Brom has been a great road underdog meaningful for this game? Let's start with the uh, Brom-Purdue side of the equation. All right, 7-1 against the spread as a road dog at Purdue during his tenure there. That includes four games from 2017. That was his first year on the job. When they were plus 20 against all these teams, they were a really crappy squad. I don't think that's necessarily relevant, those 2017 games when they were plus 20 against all these foes. For this matchup, where they're plus 7, plus 7.5 against an elite foe. There's only been three games since that time that Brom has covered as a road dog. Since 2017. Yeah, he's 7-1 ATS a road dog. Three games since 2017 he's covered as a road dog. Let me tell you what those three games were. Purdue lost 35-7 at Penn State. Non-competitive loss. Oh, they were plus 29. They only lost by 28. Point spread cover. Defense didn't get stops. Offense didn't move the football, but they covered the spread. They lost 45-24 to at Wisconsin. They were plus 24 in that game. Covered the spread by a field goal. Again, defense couldn't get stops. Offense didn't move the football properly. They got the money at plus 24. They're not plus 24 this week. They were plus 18 at Iowa. That's the third point spread cover for Brom as a road dog over the last four years. And again, if you know anything about Big Ten football, that's not the first point spread Iowa didn't cover as a big favorite. It won't be the last. They're not an offensive juggernaut. When you look at it all together, none 
of those seven previous point spread covers the road dog. Give me confidence that this is meaningful for Purdue stepping up in class and hanging within single digits uh, in the South Bend against Notre Dame. None of it. And then you turn to the Irish side of the equation. All right, again, I know they're 0-2 against the spread. I know their defense has been gashed. Here's the quote from head coach Brian Kelly, Thursday's press conference. It's going to take a minute. I'll read it all. Quote, the first two weeks of the season were not typical in-season preparation. We had been in a long camp. I wanted to make sure that we didn't have camp legs. So you're not really ramping things up going to that week versus Florida State in the opener. Then that game was played on a Sunday. We came off of that game into a short week in week two. So you've really affected two weeks with the Sunday game. This is the first week where we've been able to really be in our the routine. So we've been able to get after it the way we normally do. Tuesday and Wednesday are what we're used to in terms of traditional practices leading up to a Saturday game. We raised our level of preparation this week. What's Brian Kelly telling us there? Brian Kelly is telling us, yeah, I can understand why we didn't cover each of the first two games. I can understand why our defense got gashed each of the first two games. This game isn't those games. We're prepped. We're ready. We're in normal rhythm. We're in normal routine. So again, the casual better is going to look at this and say, Irish can't cover. No way. They're terrible defensively. Look, they got gas. Brahms, a road dog. Done, done, done. Savvy betters. Winning betters. They're going to understand the database stuff. They're going to look at the nuance of the, of the, the hardcore angles of the matchup. But then you're going to dig and see if you can find some nuance. And this is one example where the nuance, in my opinion, trumped everything else you can find on Notre Dame and Purdue. Doesn't matter. Win or lose. The key is make good bets with good info. And that's why the Fighting Irish were on my card on Saturday. When we come back, yeah, extended time with Mark Lawrence. And again, we're talking about a guy who knows what he's talking about. 50 years in the business. It should be a lot of fun. Mark and I break it down next right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Excited to bring in our guest for today's NFL show because it's a guy who was an absolute legend in this business. I'll tell you what, I moved to Vegas, it was 1998. And when I first came to town, there were a couple of guys whose names were on everybody's lips. Hey, pay attention to so and so, pay attention to so and so. Mark Lawrence was one of those so and so's, and here it is 25 years later almost. And Mark Lawrence is still doing what he does. Welcome to the program, Mark Lawrence. So glad to have you on today's show. Hey, Teddy, it's a thrill to be on with you. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And 
I remember those days back in the late 90s. I remember those day, days back in the 80s and 70s, as far as you want to go. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, we're I, here and we're having a good time. I think you were betting on sports when I was in diapers. And yeah, probably again, was, yes. I'm born in 1967. So uh, <laughs> maybe I was in toddler diapers, but uh, you have been doing this for a long, long time. Tell, tell, tell us about it. I mean, who is Mark Lawrence and why should anyone care? about what you have to say about betting on football. Well, I can say this, that, uh, you know, one of the reasons maybe you might want to listen is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to win enough uh, handicapping achievement awards, documented ones, more than anybody at the Sports Monitor. That might mean something. But I think more important than that is my love and passion for sports handicapping and my desire to share the nuances of sports handicapping to people who are interested in learning those. I've always been willing and wanting to do things like that. And uh, I was always told at a young age, Ted, that one of my parents told me one of the best attributes you can have growing up is the ability to listen to others because that's the way you're going to learn from other people here. And if you pick up one nugget, one thing you didn't know from listening to somebody else, it was worth lending an ear. So that's what I'm doing here right now today. And uh, that's why I'm still doing this stuff here today because I have a passion and a drive for sports handicapping. Well, look, I know a whole lot of handicappers in town, and there's not one of them that isn't going to say that you were a mentor to them in one way or another. You were a mentor to me in one way or another. And you've been doing this for, like, what, 50 years now? You've never had a real job at any point in your adult life. How does well, it I... feel 50 years later? And more importantly, why on earth are you still doing this, man? Why don't you just chill? I can't imagine doing this. Uh... You know, uh, I'm sitting here, you know, and I'm in my mid-50s now. And I'm like, yeah, if I can get, if I can do this for another 10 years and still live through it, I'll be happy. You've well, been doing it for 50 years. Explain. Well, the reason I'm doing it is a lot of what I just said, this love, this passion, this desire to do these things. Uh, and I absolutely have, other than my dear wife calling my high school sweetheart, who I've been married now to for 52 years, my second love is my sports handicapping database. And I just love querying it and learning new things, and I learn them from that. So uh, I'm never going to retire. I'm always going to be doing this in some way, shape, form, or passion, or form, I should say. And let me correct you here also. I have had a real job. This is, one, number one, this is a real job. But number two, as far as a, a in, in the workforce real job, I was out of high school, never went to college. We, was, we were born on the other side of the tracks. We were born very, very poor. Couldn't go to college, went to work uh, right out of high school, made a dollar fifty an hour, married my wife that same year, and went on the road as a salesman for about eight years selling heating and air conditioning supplies. And while I was doing that is when I fell in love with sports handicapping, and that's when I did this professionally. So, yes, a real job right now, and yes, a real job back in the day when. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, in terms of how much work we do, <laughs> there's not a successful handicapper that, uh, that works 40 hours a week. Okay, you know, we work a lot more than 40 hours a week. It's not a nine to five job. So in that sense, it's not a real job. I don't have to ever put on a tie and go to work in the morning and uh, talk about how my day, how my night was last night or what we watched on TV. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine that life. And I'm glad I don't have to live it. Um, that doesn't make this not work, but it's different when you love what you do, what you do. And obviously you and I are both people that really love uh, betting on sports. So 50 years doing this. What's the number one lesson you can tell our audience? 
that you've learned over the years? Well, you learn through experience, and sometimes experience can be very, very expensive, making mistakes and learning from them. And the people that make the mistakes and don't learn from them are the people that are destined to not have a, a career or continue to be betting sports much longer here. You have to learn from what it is that, you, that you've learned along the way, the mistakes that you've made. And, you know, the other thing is, is like I say, having my ear always open, listening to other people because I'm always adding things in, if you will, uh, into my arsenal and uh, always evolving, always evolving, always evolving. So that's what, to me, the passion in sports handicapping is all about. There's changes here in this world today that we live in today that weren't there when I first started. I first started back in the mid-70s. And, you know, this world has really, really changed in a lot of different ways, and especially in the sports handicapping world it has. So it's making those adjustments on the fly as they change. Now, I, I want to highlight what you said. You didn't say, oh, I know what's going on now. I always, you know, <laughs> I, I've gained mastery of my craft. <laughs> you say, I'm always learning. I'm always evolving. It doesn't matter how long you do this. What worked 20 years ago isn't going to work today. And let's talk about that in specific. I mean, how have things changed in the betting markets, let's say, over the last five years compared to the last 50? What are the nuances of betting in 2021 compared to betting in 2016 or 2011 or 1999? Uh, talk about some of the ways the betting markets have changed in recent seasons. Well, right at the top, Teddy, is the obvious, the advent of uh, legal sports books in the U.S. I mean, they're opening up everywhere. Uh, we're going to see them hopefully in all 50 states here sooner than later. So that's really changed the dynamic and the way that we go about making plays and wagers because it allows us to do a little more shopping, if you will. And, you know, we all know that the value is the number one key when it comes to being a su successful handicapper. You have to find the value. And now with uh, the different sports books being out there, you have that chance ability to do just that. So that's what's here now today. Uh, now, the other thing that I've learned along the way with changes is uh, with the sports books now being legal, it seems like everybody and their brother who has an opinion on sports is now a sports handicapping expert. I just can't, I can't get over it. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm, I'm listening to radio talk shows and I'm listening to the to, to people that I can read right through what they're saying. And I know that they don't know what they're talking about, but everybody has an opinion. And because of legal sports wagering now, everybody wants everything else, everybody else to know what they know. It's so filled, Teddy, as you know, this industry with egos. Uh, it's and, and we, now with all this coming about, there are even more egos in this industry. And you have to kind of stay at arm's length away from that stuff because if you get too wrapped up in yourself and what it is you're doing you're never going to be successful all you're trying to do is please yourself and that you're doing it for the wrong reason so the way it's evolved since then uh, back in the day you know i built my database and uh, i live and die by my database today and i need to make changes uh, in the way that i approach the database people ask me about my database and does it give me all the answers well it only gives me the answers to the questions that i ask just like a, a pilot flying an airplane, how good is that pilot? Well, how good is that airplane? It depends on the pilot that's flying it. That, that depends upon what kind of flight you're going to have. So in, in today's world, you have to ask those right questions. You have to try and stay ahead of what will be the line moves and anticipate those. So that's kind of where we are today with all the information being available as it is instantaneously as opposed to what it was in the day that I started. And you make a great point about the modern... And again, we're talking NFL today. I'll have you on talk college another time, but today all about the National Football League. 
But the fact that we have all of these quote-unquote so-called experts <laughs> throwing out opinions, and look, this is the most humbling business you can be in. I've been there. You know, I was a young gun. I had some good weeks, some good seasons, a monster day. You feel like you can never lose again. This business will humble you. <laughs> and even when you do all the work and you see everything super clearly, a fumble return, touchdown for 99 yards, changes everything anyway. So you definitely need to keep steady when it comes to betting. Mark Lawrence's database coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. So we've got Mark Lawrence on today's show, 50-year veteran, and I mean in the trenches for 50 years. You know, some guys are like, yeah, I've been betting casually here and there all the way. Mark Lawrence has been living this life for his, you know, he claimed he had a job back in the day, some kind of traveling salesman. I'm not sure if I buy it, uh, but it didn't last long. He's been betting full-time and handicapping full-time since the 1970s and you talked about it you hinted at it in the open mark you talked about your database how did you develop that database uh to begin with where did it come from and where the ideas behind it um tell me a little bit about what you've put together over the course of your career because it's a heck of a database that you've got it is and uh let me tell you this from the outset today i never shared this with anybody but i love doing it with you here on the show today that the database that I have now is not the database that I intended to start out with. Uh, I had a programmer that I had hired to put a database together for me, and not knowing what it was he was putting together, he saw the win-loss results of the things that we were able to do, and he immediately became enamored with the database and all the things it could possibly do. Hence, he ended up diving into and betting his brains out with this stuff, not even knowing what he was doing, and he ended up having to stop on the coding of my database because he was completely tapped out. He didn't have no clue about how to wager what he was doing or anything. So when that project blew up, a good friend of mine, Tom Scott uh, from Buckeye Sports in Indiana, Tom grew up in Ohio where I am, and we had a lot in common. Uh, we both loved music. He was a, he was a um, producer of a, a lot of musical acts and uh, everything back in the day. Well, Tom and I handicapped together. And Tom had this vision to take everything we're doing and let's build a database, let's put it together. So I worked with Tom and we would do things back and forth. He would ask questions, what's logical, what's not, let's do this, let's do that. And Tom went to a programmer at Notre Dame and they built this database. And this database then was found out by Chad Millman, who was then with ESPN, the magazine. 
and he did a nice story, feature story on the database because he went to Indiana and found out how powerful it actually is. Uh, and I still today am living with the database now. There's been different versions of the database that have come over throughout the years. You know, obviously version one when it was built, it's all the way up to version 19 as far as the the, uh, the hardware goes, the software goes. But uh, uh, like I say, I don't go anywhere without my database. Even when I'm on vacation, my database goes with me. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly something that you're known for. Now, I want to ask you, and Anna, and this is a tough question, I guess. Has the data ever failed you badly? And this is something I'm more curious about than any other factor because I've never been a D-Base handicapper. I love to look at it, but it's never been my methodology. But this is my question. What do you do when you're a technical handicapper and you're in a slump? Um, how do you deal with those factors? That's another great question, and uh, and I have done just that. Uh, you know, the database, uh, again, it only answers the questions you ask. It doesn't uh, predict things for the future. And uh, so maybe you're asking the wrong questions when you're not uh, winning football games. I learned that, okay? But what I also learned is learning from the mistakes and, you know, what did I overlook in doing things like that. The other part of the equation to this is when, and we're all going to go in slumps. I don't care if you're a football player, an athlete, whatever it is, a sports handicapper, everybody has slumps. And they're going to occur. What you have to do is you have to put yourself in position to be able to work your way through them so that when the, it turns, when the worm turns, you're going to be in position to maximize from what it is you learned. Now, as far as being a technical handicapper is, and that I am, I'll admit that first and foremost, but also... I'm a firm believer that to be a well-rounded handicapper, you can't live and die on one form of handicapping alone. You can't not be just a technical handicapper. I love to incorporate statistical and fundamental handicapping edges along with what it is I do technically. And all three of those aspects all work together hand in hand. So when my technical side of things, it, uh, when they're not winning, they're not producing, I can rely heavily then. I can go to the, st the stats and really, really pour upon them and see what it is I'm doing, missing, or whatnot in the fundamental matchups. The stuff like our good friend Dave Malinsky used to love doing. You know, Dave and I grew up together in handicapping games, and, you know, I would do it from the technical side, and Dave would do it from the fundamental side. And whenever we came together in a game, it was terrific because we weren't coming together for the same reasons, but his style worked and my technical style was working. So it doesn't really matter what your style is, Ted. Uh, all that matters is you believe in what it is you're doing and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and work at what it is you're doing. And if you do that, you're going to be sick. Yeah. And of course, Dave Malinsky, uh, I can't think of anyone who would have been more influential in my betting career than the late, great Dave Malinsky. May he rest uh, in peace. And you talked about the matchups and the situational factors that you're going to use to go along with your D-base data. Let's put that specifically into week two, because week two in the NFL is kind of unique. People call it the overreaction week. So when it comes to D-base systems, trends and angles, week two in the NFL, what works? What do you got? I know our audience is very interested in this segment when it comes to long-term strategies that work not just team specific, but league wide. What do you well, got for me? You Mark? hit it right on the head there, Teddy. Uh, there's a big difference in systems and angles that come out of my database, which is what I do. Trends are another matter all into themselves. Trends apply to teams, angles, uh, systems apply to uh, league wide situations, and angles apply to league wide angles over the years, over the course of years. 
So trends, while you may read in my newsletter about all the trends that are surrounding this particular football game, they make the write-ups easier. They support the theory or the thought or the side. But the meat and the potatoes are the systems and the angles underneath the game. So as a for instance, on this Week 2 National Football League card, when I go into my database and I look for, you know, what are the common occurrences, what to look for in week number two of the National Football League season. The one thing I'll tell you this, I'll share with you, that jumps out the most from the database are teams that are underdogs in week two that lost straight up as a favorite in week number one. They change roles, they're deeply disappointed, they're mad and angry as all hell, and they put their best foot forward doing just that. In the database, uh, 59 and 39, that's a pretty good number overall for nearly 100 plays. You've got five plays this week, I'll share them with you. That would be Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tennessee, and Baltimore. All favorites who lost straight up last week, dressing up as dogs this week. Then my database will allow me the ability to dive deeper into that 59 and 39 number to find the really, really good situations. But those are good starting points when it comes to handicapping week number two in the National Football League. Let me share with you one other thing here, too. Let me ask you real quick, Mark. Let me just cut you off real quick. Can you give those, uh, you said Indy plus this week, Jacksonville plus this week, Minnesota plus this week. What were the other two teams? Tennessee plus and Mm -hmm. Baltimore plus. So all teams that were favorites last week, but dogs this week, that falls into that long-term 60% angle. Correct. Mark is talking three, about three of which were playoff teams last year, too, by the way. So uh, you're going to find a little more focused effort there on their part. But one other quick little angle before we move on to a, a different subject here is in its simplest form, okay, when you have a, a team that, a pair of teams that won in week one, a 1 and 0 versus a 1 and 0, home underdogs are terrific. They're 28 or 22 and 8 to the spread. You've got Carolina and Philadelphia dressing up in that role this week. And also, conversely, teams that open up with the losses, 0-1 versus 0-1, home favorites struggle mightily. And the betting public is not going to want to hear this because they're going to want to be all over Green Bay for their lungs. But these teams who are these 0-1 matchups, these home favorites are 31-51 and 51 to the spread. Now, Green Bay might be a, uh, an animal of a different color here because it being Aaron Rodgers and the embarrassment and how well he plays at home in division games and so forth and whatnot. But I will at least use that to keep me out of the Green Bay Packers. Is there any other games this week that falls into that 0-1 versus 0-1? No, no, uh, that's, the, that's, that's the only guy, surprisingly. He's the only one that dresses up that way, the Green Bay Packers, this week. So, again, I just want to go through the three systems that Mark just gave us very clearly for week two. We're looking for a team that was a favorite in week one that lost, that is now an underdog in week two. That would be Indy, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tennessee, Baltimore long-term. You back those teams, you're hitting better than 60%. You're talking uh, about teams that, uh, again, won last week, but are uh, this is 1-0s versus 1-0. Look at the home dogs. That would That's be correct. Philly and Carolina. That falls into a 22-8 and system. And, of course, 0-1 versus 0-1, the home favorites have been dismal to the tune of 31-51 and 51 ATS. Mark Lawrence's database says that means Monday night, you ain't laying with Green Bay. Frankly, Mark, I wasn't excited about laying with Green Bay anyway. <laughs> so <Good. laughs> I'm glad that your D-base points us in that direction. And we're just getting started uh, with Mark Lawrence. 
We're going to talk about sides versus totals versus team totals versus parlays versus teasers versus first half versus first quarter. We're going to talk about some theory rules for beginning NFL bettors. We're going to talk about how Mark Lawrence approaches the next week's card when the line comes out on Sunday night. And of course, Mark's going to give us a free play before we let him go. Something that he likes in the NFL right here in week two. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it comes from the lists of teams that he just gave us that fall into his database system. So be sure, stay tuned for the break because we have much more with Mark Lawrence coming up next. And of course, you gotta know, folks, don't miss anything from our program. Go to Twitter and follow us at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV to stay informed all day long. Clips, news, breaking news, updates, and everything else on Twitter at SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You can find Mark Lawrence on Twitter, at Mark Lawrence, easy enough. That's M-A-R-C-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, Mark Lawrence on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, at Teddy underscore covers. And of course, you got to be following SportsGrid on Twitter for all that breaking news, at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV. Mark, we've gotten your superhero origin story. We've gotten some talk about your database, how it was created and what you do with it. We've got some strong week two trends and angles to talk about. I want to talk about the best methods for beating the NFL circa 2021. Sides versus totals versus team totals, which are now widely available that a lot of betters are taking advantage of. Versus parlays versus teasers versus first half bets versus first quarter bets versus in-game bets. Talk about your preferred methodology for beating the National Football League. Well, let me say this, Teddy, to, to start this segment here, is that uh, when it comes to handicapping the National Football League, I've learned over the years that you have to put tape over the names of the teams. Don't fall in love with the name of a team, whether it's your hometown city, the team you grew up loving as a young kid growing up, or what you just saw on television. Put tape over the names of the team, and then look at the teams and how they're performing statistically throughout the year coming into these football games. You'll be surprised by doing that. And when you look at that situation, you'll find teams that you would think for sure for what you just looked at statistically should be a good favorite in the game, and yet they're the underdog in the football game. It's a lot of name and perception, and you have to uh, you have to divorce yourself from falling in love with football teams. First and foremost, they're all just like machines, Teddy, teams in the NFL. Some of them just hit on cylinders at better times of the season than they do others. As far as sides and totals are concerned, uh, I'm almost exclusively a sides player. The totals, I basically leave to my totals guru. Uh, Victor King works with me in my playbook office, and he publishes the only totals tip sheet in the country, and he does a great job out of our database. 
And uh, I think personally, and I've only because I don't have the time, I think there's a lot to be found in handicapping totals uh, because the bookmakers are concentrating so hard on the uh, on the on the sides themselves and the lines and trying to stay ahead of the sharps and so forth. I think there's a whole lot more to be found edge-wise with the totals, but I leave that up to my guy if I can, if I can say that. And the other thing you mentioned about... Uh, let, let me jump in real quick, Mark, and then, sure. then we'll come back to uh, the sure. mess. But note what Mark just said here. All right. This guy's been doing this for 50 years. He knows the NFL as well as anyone. And what does he say? He said, totals aren't where my area of expertise is. I farm that out to someone I trust. Note that. Okay. Mark's not trying to reinvent the wheel by himself. He's not trying to do everything by himself. What he's trying to do is what he's good at. And what he's not good at, he's finding someone else who is good at it to help him. And that's what we try to do as handicappers. Absolutely. You can't do it all by yourself. We all have teams of one sort or another where we're picking up information from each other. Because, frankly, if you're trying to do more than one sport at any given time, if you're doing one sport at a time, you probably don't need that. You know, you're living the sport, you're eating it, you're <laughs> drinking it, you're sleeping it. But when you're trying to do multiple sports, i.e. college football and the NFL, oh, and there's baseball going on, oh, and basketball starts next month, you better have other people that whose opinions you trust, who you know put the work in, that can help you try to make a profit at this little sports betting game. Now, Mark, sorry for cutting you off. Please. I, and that's good advice, Teddy. I, I like hearing what you just said, and uh, it's it all goes with staying in your lane. You know, don't try and be somebody else, or don't try and do something that you're not really good, or you don't know whether or not you're good at. Stay in your lane. Do what you're best at. Concentrate and focus on that, and you'll have a much much better chance at being successful. You mentioned parlays and teasers. Those are no nos in my world, and the reason being is you know, a teaser just basically it speaks for itself just by its name. They're teasing you to come in to make these plays. And the last thing I, I want to have to do is have to have two or three or four teams win to cash one ticket. It's tough enough picking a winner of a game, let alone having to pick two or three or four winners to do just that. Yes, the payoffs are big, but the bottom line here is, and I can quote you this, Teddy, from a good friend of mine who ran a big, big sports book, uh, offshore sports book, they made all, I mean almost all, of their profits on teasers. Uh, the betting public loves teasers. They jump into them, and you know, lots of times you jump in them and you do the wrong things. Uh, you're paying too much juice. Uh, you know, and I, and, you know, talking to sharp people, Steve Fezzik, and you know all the guys that know exactly, you know, how to beat that angle, that side of the plays. You have to be able to make sure when you're when you're doing your teasers that you're going through two numbers, two live numbers. You know, you're you're taking a game at eight and you're playing it down to two, so you're passing through seven, you're passing through three. Those are the advantages. Those are the smart things you have to do. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tout that because I don't do that, and I don't do that because, like I said, those sports books. They tell he told me that they made all their money with teasers. Probably the same thing. You have to win two teams to cash one ticket. And you could say, okay, you know, I could bet two teams flat, and I split them, I lose the juice. Uh, I bet a parlay. I've got to win both teams to cash the ticket. One of them loses, I lose the whole ticket. So I don't, I, I avoid that stuff. I think to me personally, they're traps. And uh, don't be lured by the big, big rake or the hall of a, of a jackpot slot, if you will, uh, in doing those types of things. Concentrate, I do anyway, 
on sides for everything that I do. I don't even do in-game wagering, Teddy. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that do that, and there's a lot of people that make a lot of money doing just that. But it's my personal opinion that as in-game wagering started and has become more and more popular, the people that are not educated, that are playing in-game, they're, all they're doing is playing hunches, who they like, who they like, who they like. What they, they're the prognosticator. And, you know, the, you have to have substance to back up what it is you're doing. And if you don't have substance or reasoning or a, something, uh, you're guessing. And, you know, I, and there's a reason that in-game wagering is so popular for sports because it's because they make a haul on stuff like that. So uh, maybe I'm talking a little bit too old school, you know, for the audience that's out there. But I like to stay in my lane, and uh, so I concentrate mostly on the sides. And there's a reason that at every sports book in Las Vegas, you walk in, there are the parlay cards, there are the mm-hmm. teaser cards. The hold, you know, the sports book hold on parlays and teasers in Las Vegas can be enormous. And Mark brought up an excellent point when it comes to teaser. There is proper positive expectation teaser strategy. That's when you're teasing favorites of above a touchdown down to below a field goal. And you're teasing dogs from below a field goal above a touchdown. You're getting both the key number of three and the key number of seven on your side with that teaser wager. Wager. Those are the only teasers you're allowed to make. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. You're allowed to make if, if you're a serious, if you're looking to actually beat the teaser marketplace, you have to have three and seven, both coming into your side of the equation with the teaser. Just about five minutes left here with Mark, and there's so much more that I want to ask you about, so i got to get into it. Um, so many beginning bettors. we got to talk some theory. All right. Give me a, a top couple of rules for beginning NFL better, knowing full well that rules are made to be broken. Um, you got any rules for people out there that are with so many new bettors out there? I'm going to throw three quick ones at you, Teddy, and I'm also going to follow it up with a, a theory or a thought. Uh, one of them is simply don't bet favorites with bad defenses. It's self-explanatory because bad defensive teams find ways to lose games. And if you're laying points with a team that can't win football games, you're barking up the wrong tree. The other side of the coin is look for underdogs with good defenses because those good defenses can help keep you in the game. They don't even have to win the game, the underdog. You just got to be competitive, and teams with good defenses can do just that. So fade the favorites with bad defenses. Bet the dogs with good defenses. And, again, this goes back a little bit more of what I said before. Don't fall in love with the name of a team or some, or anything just like that. Uh, I apply a theory that uh, I like race horse racing. Uh, I love it. In fact, uh, I go to the Gulfstream Racetrack almost every Saturday. And what there's a style of handicapping in horse racing that you call the bounce theory. And it applies in all sports, but more specifically in horse racing. And you look for that in sports football teams as well. Uh, you look for a team is never as good, Teddy, and you know this as well as anybody. As and they're never as good as they look in their best effort, and they're never as bad as they look in their worst effort. So those teams that come off their best efforts are generally tend to bounce or regress back to the mean. And the, by the same token, teams that look their worst, and believe me, the betting public watches the New York Jets get pummeled on a football game. They're going to be they're going to want to bet against them until the cows come home. Again, that's a bad performance looking to come back to the mean. So keep that in mind here. It's all about value, and you're going to get value by doing just that, by fading teams off their best performance and playing on teams off their worst. Now, I want to ask you, is there anything for bettors to think about on Sunday night 
when the week three lines come out? Any week three angles you can share? How do you attack the card right when it first comes up? Maybe a little bit differently, I think, than most do, Teddy, in the sense that I have the luxury of my database. So what I will do is I will I'll put in the uh, the odds, the numbers that they're posting there, and run away. I have a, what I call a system book where it will run a query for me of everything that I want to know answers about, the systems that have stood up the best. So I'll run those systems, and it will put out a list of games or teams and so forth and whatnot for me. I'll see who qualifies this particular week, and that's when I start my number shopping. And then I have to use common sense. You know, is the, is the team I like uh, going to be, uh, is the, and I like under, I do the underdogs 90% of the time. So is the underdog that I like, uh, is the favorite going to be bet up during the week? And if it is, I have to put the brakes on because I know I'll be able to take maybe a better value down the road. But you can also smell, and so many, uh, believe me, so many odds makers, Teddy, are premier handicappers. And I've learned over the course of the years, you don't second guess the odds maker. He knows what he's doing. Don't think you know more than he knows what he's doing. Just state what it is that you do. So in, after I've run my systems, my angles and everything, I'm looking for games that I feel where a number will run away against for me, and I'll start shopping for that on a Sunday night. Tremendous information today from Mark Lawrence, the fastest hour of radio you can find. Mark, I want you to promote yourself. Tell them where they can find you. Tell them your Twitter handle. And we got about a minute left. Maybe you want to give them a little free play for the NFL on Sunday as well. Okay, uh, you can reach me, as you mentioned, Teddy, uh, uh, at Mark Lawrence on Twitter. Uh, my website is playbooksports.com. We publish a weekly newsletter. It's jam-packed with a lot of great handicap information right from the database. Check it all, all, all online at playbooksports.com. And as far as a free play goes, like you mentioned, I'm going to go back to that list that we talked about before. And I'm going to look at the Carolina Panthers this week against New Orleans for the free play. And uh, here's a nice little insight that I don't think anybody knows. I'm, I'm going to share this with, with you, and your listeners are going to learn this for the first time. I love handicapping coaches because players, coaches have tendencies, and their players follow the same tendencies. Matt Rule is one of my favorite coaches from back in college and now in the pros. When I combine Matt Rule's performance records in college and in pros, as he's been an underdog in his career at Temple and at Baylor, and an underdog with the Carolina Panthers in his career, this guy is 39 and 19 against the spread. You're going to get a real, real nice effort from him in an underdog role. You want to look there first and foremost whenever Carolina dresses up as a dog. And this week, they happen to dress up as a dog against a New Orleans football team that is as high as a kite coming off that big win over the Green Bay Packers last week. I don't know if Jameis Winston's got two five-touchdown games in a row back-to-back in him. I think Matt Rule. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> i got to cut you, man. He says, look at Carolina at the plus price on there, Sunday. There we'll you be go. back. Cover it. Continue. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM, Channel 204, the Sports Grid, our radio network. And I understand that you're not supposed to overreact to week one of the NFL. That being said, I'm going to give you guys a betting opinion for today that I am absolutely not looking to underreact to what we saw in week one either. I'm going to make a case right here for the Arizona Cardinals minus three and a half, the current prevailing number here in Las Vegas, back east in New Jersey, and around the globe right now. Cardinals minus three and a half against the Minnesota Vikings. Now look, we all say, don't overreact to week one. Don't overreact to week one. Don't overreact to week one. I'm not. Minnesota was a mediocre team at best last year. They were a mediocre team in preseason action this August, at best. Week one, a mediocre team at best. Remember, this is a squad that remade their defense in the offseason. Not anywhere near the elite stop unit they were uh, earlier in Mike Zimmer's tenure. The offensive line, problematic last year, problematic in the preseason, problematic in week one. And when the offensive line isn't blowing open holes for Dalvin Cook, guess what? It's all Kirk Cousins in the passing game, and that's not the way to win in the modern NFL. But the betting markets are looking at Minnesota saying, bounce back spot, bounce back spot. This team was supposed to be good, and they took a whole bunch of over money in August. And look, uh, we know it was a bad week one, but they'll be fine. No, really, it's Mike Zimmer. We know him. I'm not buying that argument. Minnesota, mediocre at best. Meanwhile, the Cardinals weren't healthy. You know, remember, great start last year. Injuries galore down the stretch. Well, they were healthy in week one. They were pretty explosive offensively in Cliff Kingsbury's third year on the job. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing in Arizona now. And oh, by the way, that defense is putting a whole host of pressure at the line of scrimmage. We saw it last week. I expect to see it this week. So, again, in theory, the theory says you take the dogs, in practice, it's Arizona or pass for this better. I don't think you'd like to get away. Enough. Cheers. Sometimes you want to go wherever.